Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast The Endurance of Labor Laws. I am your lovely host Leslie Sullivan. And today is episode 92, and we are going to take a look at the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide and Rodenticide Act. But first of all, let me give a big shout out to my listeners because as usual, you guys are awesome. So a big shout out to Virginia, Oklahoma, Texas, Pennsylvania, New York, California, in terms of countries, Denmark, Canada, the United Kingdom, and of course the United States. So thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate. It. Let's go ahead and get started on this puppy here. Okay, so this is the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act. The long title is an act to regulate the marketing of economic poisons and devices, and for other purposes. Um, the an acronyms it's FIFRA, so F I F R A, is what this one is called. It was enacted by the 80th United States Congress. Um, it was put into effect June 25th, 1947. It was signed into law by President Harry S. Truman on June 25th, 1947. Okay, so here we go on this one. This is an interesting one. I learned a lot. Hence, I'm not always a fan of pesticides. Even before reading this, I kind of think we overdo it on chemicals. My personal opinion. Um, but let's see here. It says the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act, also known as FIFRA, is a United States federal law that set up the basic U.S. system of pesticide regulation to protect applicators, consumers, and the environment. It is administered and regulated by the United States EPA. And it says a significant revision in 1972 by the Federal Environmental Pesticide Control Act, also known as FEPCA. and several others have expanded the EPA's present authority to oversee the sales and use of pesticides with emphasis on the preservation of human health and protection of the environment by number 1 strengthening the registration process by shifting the burden of proof to the chemical manufacturer i agree with that because i think if you invent something or sell something then that's on the company to prove what it does it's it's not the government's agency or it's not the responsibility of the consumer to prove the product does something it needs to be the manufacturer number 2 enforcing compliance against banned and unregistered products and number 3 promulgating the regulatory framework missing from the original law now i kind of disagree with that last one because here's the thing whenever i look at laws differently obviously but laws to me when they are passed i don't view them as oh it's missing something from the beginning i don't look at it that way Whenever a law is written and passed, I look at it as okay, it has everything it needs. If we need to make changes later down the road, then we will address that then. But the the moment that it is passed and it starts to be implemented, to me, that law is complete. It's not missing anything. I think the problem in the United States, at least with some of our laws, we've gotten to this bad habit of just passing stuff thinking or knowing that all oh, it's missing some, some stuff it's like really like that's like operating on a patient and it's say you're supposed to remove their their gallbladder well would it be appropriate for the surgeon to only remove half of the gallbladder gallbladder when he needs to remove all of it and say well i know i know i'm missing some stuff but i'm just going to leave it there if if it becomes septic and or almost kills the patient then i'll go back in and handle it see that kind of thinking doesn't make sense so when we're passing laws actually writing and passing laws and implementing laws we need to view them as hey this is what we want because it is what we want 
We should not be passing anything haphazardly. And an example of passing something haphazardly, excuse me, my mouth is dry already, is Obamacare. That law was shoved down our throats. It was so horrible. Um, no, it's like nobody knew what was in it. And it was just, I don't know, it was probably over 300 pages or something. It, it, it was ridiculous how long that law um, is in terms of what all is in there. And it's like, like Nancy Pelosi is, is quoted as saying, well, we need to pass it to know what's in it. She should never be in a position of power or be serving in any kind of governmental civil servant position if that's how she views things. Like it's their job to know what's in something before they pass it. Like that's ridiculous. Now there are things about Obama Obamacare that I do like, but most of it I don't like because it totally ruined the health insurance environment. and it affected our benefits. So Obamacare it tried to eliminate private health insurance so that way people would be forced to purchase health care from the government. Which is so stupid because we don't want socialized medicine. I know some people think they want that, but I'm like, "You know what? Before you really vote for that, I really think you should go live in the United Kingdom or in Australia, get really ill." get diagnosed with like a chronic illness or something and see if socialized medicine actually takes care of you because it does not socialized medicine is great if you never get sick socialized medicine is great if all you need is an antibiotic or or if you need birth control but if you need anything more serious than that you you are screwed you are you are up a creek without a paddle as they say So, needless to say, I am against any kind of legislation that is not complete. And if they're not sure whether or not it's complete, then they need to pass it one phase at a time. I don't mind them doing that because if you pass it one article or like one amendment at a time or one issue at a time, then at least we know what's in there. And then leave the more difficult stuff, you know, hold off on that till we have more data or research, but at least pass the stuff that you know what's going on. This other stuff, sometimes they just pass stuff and they don't even know what's in it. I'm like, "Really? And these are these are our um elected officials and our legislators." I mean, that's it is so dangerous to pass laws and not know what's in it. That's ridiculous. Like someone had to write it, someone had to put it together. And I mean, hopefully our our representatives are literate so they can read. I mean, to me there's really no excuse not to read this stuff before it's passed. I mean, I would think that that's that's their job is to know what's in this stuff before they pass it. But I guess there's a difference in the thinking cuz some people they just want to pass stuff and not pay attention to what's actually in there. but yet it's always putting the american people on the hook for the cost of it meaning our tax dollars you see when you think of cost you need to look at it from the point of view that that's going to be passed down to somebody it costs money and that somebody is you and me and it's also anyone that's visiting here in the united states because whenever you're visiting here you're paying sales tax you're paying all these different taxes while you're here You may not be paying income tax and some other taxes, but you know, you cannot escape taxes when you travel anywhere on the face of this earth. So I mean, just look at it this way. 
you know, you cannot escape taxes, which if you're buying a good or something, you, you should pay taxes. If you're earning income, you should pay taxes on that. But my point is this, you know, our government collects so much money in tax dollars, but yet it's like the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. So the way that you prevent um, shadiness or ignorance is you read the laws and you know what's in there before they're passed. And if something's not right, you don't pass it. You either scrap it altogether or you rewrite it. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, when kids are in school and they're writing essays, they have to do the same thing. You're passing a law that the legislators have not even read would be like a student in college writing a paper but then not reading their paper and just turning it in. Do you really want to take that risk of what kind of grade you're going to get? I mean that's stupid. Even a college student proofreads their work. But for some stupid reason we have legislators that You know, they just think they're so high and mighty and so intelligent and geniuses up there at Washington D.C. that they don't need to read anything. I'm like, you know, it's the direct opposite. When you are in a position of power and when you are a elected official, it's your job to read all that stuff. Because I would think that as an elected an elected official, you would want to know what's in there. You would want to know. You you would not want to take a chance. Of, of passing something into law, making it permanent, and then come to find out it's actually really horrible for the environment and/or the citizens that live here. I mean, I just think it's bizarre. I mean, to me, that's like that's like buying a health insurance policy, but you don't even know if your doctors are in your network. or or let's say you know that you take certain medications but yet you purchase a health insurance policy and you don't even know if your medicines are covered. Well, what was the point of purchasing a health insurance policy if you don't know what's covered and what's not covered? And there might be some that say, "Well, Leslie, you know, I work at, at a job and they you know, I'm a full-time employee and they offer benefits. You know, what they offer is what they offer. I have either one choice or two choices." Well, that may very well be true, but it's still your responsibility to know what's in that policy because even though your employer is offering you health insurance benefits, you don't have to take them. Although most people do because they don't want to pay a lot of money for health insurance. So they they think it's okay for the employer to pay for all that. And then they complain when the employer offers health insurance that doesn't cover everything under the sun. It's like, well, if you want everything covered under the sun, Then why don't you purchase your own health insurance policy? You can do that. I've been doing that for over 10 years now. Cuz I have yet to find an insurance policy from my employer that covers the things that I want covered. See, I want the best possible insurance. I want I want to be able to go to any doctor whenever and however I want. I don't want to have to go through a prior authorization Mess. I was going to use a different word, but I'm trying to work on my language. I wanted to be in charge of my health insurance policy. Because another thing I don't like about purchasing health insurance through an employer 
is that they become part of your 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 healthcare and it's you know there's supposed to be HIPAA laws and regulations about that but the but the fact is the more people you involve in your decisions the less privacy you have and one thing i can't stand about purchasing health insurance from employers it's like hurry up and sign up hurry up and sign up but then if you ask them hey i need to see a list of providers you know i want to see every doctor that's in this network And the employer will sometimes ask, "Well, who do you need to see?" I was like, "It's not your business. I want to see how large is your network." That doesn't mean I need to see anyone. It means it means I want to know who's in my network because here's the thing. Let's say I live, you know, in a town, but all my doctors are located in a city almost 2 hours away. Would it be beneficial for me to purchase a health insurance policy where the closest doctor for anything is 2 hours away? No. And also, you need to have access to the formulary. The formulary is the list of medications that are covered on your health insurance policy. That's supposed to be freely given to you. The information, I'm not talking about the drugs, but nothing's free. But I'm saying like the pamphlets and the list of medications that are covered or even not covered on your health insurance policy that's called a list it's called a formulary list and as a consumer and as someone that is signing a contract saying you're going to pay this premium and then they're going to cover these costs you need to know what's covered and what's not covered because there's nothing worse than going to a doctor's office you think they're covered and then wham bam thank you ma'am you have to pay the cash price to see that doctor because you didn't know they weren't covered and even worse if they prescribe a drug that's not covered oh man you're really you are really really out of luck on that one so just just be aware of things like that just be aware of things like that cuz it's important what you what you purchase and also what is in your health insurance policy like you need to know what's in there it's the same thing with rules laws and regulations we need to know what are in our laws because if we don't know what's in there then first of all you're not going to know whether or not you're breaking the law but yet you know law enforcement regardless of which agency it is and what laws you break unfortunately they are quick to lock you up and charge you a fine or a fee and they love putting people in prison they love locking people up and throwing the key away because you'd be surprised how many law enforcement people think that the average person knows all these rules laws and regulations when they don't most people don't even know what's covered in their health insurance Most people don't even know if they have life insurance. And then if they do have life insurance, they don't know how much is covered or how much they get if someone passes away. They they don't have a clue. So to expect the general public to know all these rules, laws and regulations and be so harsh with fines and or imprisonment is just ridiculous. And I say that because I'm from Oklahoma. Oklahoma the states that are in the Bible Belt in case you don't know the states in the Bible Belt are very quick to lock people up and throw away the key they are very quick to arrest people they are very quick to do things irrationally as opposed to rationally 
And it's very unfortunate. I mean, things are, are getting better for sure. I mean, I haven't heard of any bad cases here lately. But you know, it it's not really a compliment when your state is known as having one of the highest incarceration rates in the country. Like that's really disappointing. I mean, that tells me that we have a big problem with people not knowing the law. I mean, there are some people that violate the law and they know it and they don't care, but that's actually quite rare. So if anything, you know, it is the responsibility of the citizen to know what the local laws are wherever you live. So just FYI, wherever you live, you need to go to your .gov website for your state or your area and see just what are the laws and regulations of your area, even if it's just about permits or farming or driving or whatever the case may be. Because every state is different, and there are some nutty states out there, even ones that you wouldn't think would be nutty. Sometimes they are nutty, and it's weird. But moving on, a little bit of the history to this: the Federal Insecticide Act, which is known as FIA of 1910, was the first pesticide legislation. Excuse me, legislation enacted. This legislation ensured quality pesticides. by protecting farmers and consumers from fraudulent and or adulterated products by manufacturers and distributors. That's good. So this is a a good example of where even people from way back in the day around the turn of the century, they knew what they were doing. They were not ignorant. Like we are not the only ones to be concerned about the environment and to be concerned about public health. This has been going on for a long time, so this is nothing new. So just FYI, if there's anyone listening, that thinks they're a genius because they care about the environment. I have news for you. Number 1, you're not a genius. I'm sorry to dethrone you, but number 2, you're not the first one to be concerned about the environment and thank goodness for that. Because people have been caring about the environment and have been caring about people for a long time. A long time. And that's really good actually. Because that means our ancestors set the framework for what we have today. So that's a good thing. It says during World War II, there was a marked increase in the pesticide market as wartime research and development produced many chemicals with newly discovered insecticidal properties. Widespread usage of pesticides garnered much public and political support due to the resulting post-war food surplus made possible by higher crop yield from significantly lower pest damage. Synthetic organic insecticide usage increased from 100 million pounds in 1945 to over 300 million pounds by 1950. That is creepy. That means in 5 years it increased by 200 million. 200 million pounds of insecticide usage was was increased. 200 million pounds. that that's a big problem that is such a big problem so it says congress passed the federal insecticide fungicide and rodenticide act in 1947 to address some of the shortcomings of the federal insecticide act now here's the thing there were no shortcomings to the federal insecticide act things changed like they they did not have the same insecticides at the turn of the century as they did in 1945 or 
So it's not that the Federal Insecticide Act had shortcomings, it's that we have new products, we have new innovations, we have new inventions. So it's important to not shame and blame, and it's important to look at the positive. Because, you know, without the Federal Insecticide Act from 1910, we, we would not have what we have today. So to claim that it's a shortcoming, I, I think is overstating it, and I think it's not stating it correctly. Because if it was truly a shortcoming, then they would have rewritten that act way back in 1910. But it was not a shortcoming. Things changed. We know that because of research and development. So it goes on to say Congress enacted major revisions to FIFRA in 1972 with the Federal Environmental Pesticide Control Act, also known as FEPCA, I guess is how you pronounce it, FEPCA. The 1947 law assigned the United States Department of Agriculture uh, responsible for regulating pesticides. Now, that was a big mistake. But then again, the EPA was not around to the 70s, but here's the thing. The Department of Agriculture, they are not known for being very smart or bright. My apologies if you work in that department, but I know from going to schools here in Oklahoma, some of the people that specialize in Department of Agriculture, they are not always the best and the brightest. Some of them are country bumpkins and they are all for chemicals. and just spraying them willy-nilly. It it's ridiculous. Like it was creepy to me. Like sometimes there are hicks in these departments. And that's really unfortunate because we need people that understand the side effects and the health risk of these chemicals. See, if it was me back then, I would have never assigned this to the Department of Agriculture. Never. because they're going to be on the side of agriculture. They're not going to be on the side of human life. That's the problem. That's what I've noticed. And we we have that issue here in Oklahoma. Like we have some very stupid ignorant farmers. We have some very smart ones as well. But for the longest time, every farmer I met was a moron or an idiot and would just spray chemicals like you would not believe. And I'm like, "And you wonder why you have cancer?" and at a really young age i'm just like you know you exposed yourself to a very dangerous chemical ah uh, it's nothing uh, yes it is it is something it's not a nothing but they just snub their nose at stuff you'd be surprised how cocky and arrogant some farmers can be because it's like if they never leave their bubble then they continue to have a problem with arrogance and pride it's really weird So you never put someone in charge of dangerous chemicals that is going to be on the side of wanting to use those chemicals. That's the problem. And I think they realize their mistake with this. It says the 1972 amendment transferred this responsibility to the Environmental Protection Agency, thank goodness, right, and shifted emphasis to protection of the environment and public health. Finally, finally. See? It is so true. about the the department of agriculture here they were not the people to put in charge of pesticides cuz guess what they're looking at it as hey we want good crops we want a lot of corn we we want a lot of potatoes or whatever so they're not going to see anything wrong with using a lot of pesticides that that was the mistake that they made 
I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with wanting to use a chemical. I'm not saying that. But you need to practice some due diligence within that because you have responsibility for whatever you contaminate the earth with. But the Department of Agriculture and a lot of farmers, they don't view it in that light. It's really weird. Like, even though I'm not a liberal and I'm not a Democrat, even when I was a teenager, I thought it was odd how stupid some farmers were. Like, I just couldn't believe that they didn't have a basic education, a lot of them. And they, they would spray horrible things on their property and their land. So if I was aware that a farmer was stupid or just didn't care about public safety, I never went on their property, even if I had a friend that lived there. I didn't go to birthday parties on their property, nothing. I said, I pass. You know, I don't want to be exposed to anything. And also these farmers were not always very nice to their cattle or their livestock. You know, some of these farmers were very cruel to their animals because here's how dumb some of them are. A lot of them think that animals don't feel pain. So they think they can do whatever they want to their animals and if they cry out or yell, "Oh, it's nothing." They don't feel pain. They're not people. That's how dumb and stupid some of these farmers are. I'm like, "Wow, do you realize that that is animal cruelty?" But they don't see it as animal cruelty because a lot of farmers, like let me put it this way. When I was in college, I did meet some cute guys that that were raised on farms and they were going to college to learn about land practices or something, I don't know what. And some of them were really cute. But they were so ignorant, I couldn't stand it. And it's not that I'm super educated because I'm not. I would say I have an average education. And outside of college, I educate myself. I continuously read, I love documentaries, things of that nature. So I I'm not saying I'm a genius because you know, I I know I'm not a genius. But here's the thing, I was smart enough to recognize that relationship with one of these good-looking farmer guys was not going to work. Because they mistreat animals all the time. They're cruel to them. And there was no way I could be around that or tolerate it. It disgusted me. It was so weird. Oh, and another thing, farmers—they don't view dogs and cats as pets. Therefore, they don't care what happens to them, and they're not going to spend money on them. So, if their dog or cat gets hurt and it's on the farm, they just let it shrivel up and die. They just let it scream and holler in pain. They don't take it to the vet like you're supposed to. It's really weird. I was like, "Wow, so if you get hurt, like if you break your leg on your property, oh, it hurts when it happens to you and you want to, you know, have an ambulance come pick you up and take you to a fancy hospital. But when one of your animals get gets hurt, especially if it's a dog or a cat, they're just throwaways. They're just trash. That's how farmers look at animals. That's how they view them. And I'm not saying that animals are the same as people because they're not. Animals don't have souls. You know, that's they don't have human rights because they're not human. But, you know, as being good stewards of this earth, it is never appropriate to be cruel to an animal. Never. And if and if an animal is hurt, you help that animal. And especially if the animal is yours and it's on your property. And I'll give another example on this of how creepy farmers are. Um, I worked at a vet 
um, when I was 16 or 17 years old. And it was a veterinarian that handled large animals and then dogs and cats. One of the vets he hired was so horrible. He, he would rough handle and mishandle cats. It was terrible. I mean, he was bad enough with dogs. But you could tell he did not respect small animals. He didn't like them. He was mean to them. He was cruel to them. He didn't care if they were in pain. He, he roughed them up. Because he just wanted to handle cows and horses. Because he wanted to be the man's man, as they say. Well, whenever we would have to take our pets there, which eventually stopped going there because of how, what a jerk this guy was. You know, he was so horrible to our pets. He would just look at them with disdain, especially our cats. And he would rough them up like we could hear our cats screaming with what this guy did to them. And he almost killed one of our cats and didn't care. It was really sad. And we, we should have sued, but we did not. But I'm just letting you know, if you have a small animal, like a dog or a cat, you know, that's a pet. Do not take them to a veterinarian that handles um, livestock, that handles large animals. Because they would rather be handling heads of cattle and horses than dogs or cats. And when I say heads of cattle, I don't mean like decapitation. That, that's a word that they use when they talk about cattle. Like how many head of cattle do you have? It means like they're counting it. A lot of these vets, you know, some of them act like they love animals. They're just there for the money, especially the ones that handle large livestock. Because just think how much money they can make off of 300 head of cattle if they have to vaccinate all of them. It's a moneymaker to them. They don't care about your dog or your cat. They don't care about the kitten you just adopted. Like, there is a different mindset with farmers as opposed to everybody else. So, you know, it's a good thing if they pass these laws in regards to insecticide and fungicides and, and things like that. Because it's very dangerous to have very ignorant, stupid people have access to chemicals that can hurt the environment and or people and livestock and, and basically the entire planet. That's why the Department of Agriculture should have never been put in charge of regulating pesticides. Because they're going to be for it. They're going to be for pesticides. And I'm glad they took that responsibility away from them and gave it to the EPA. Because can you imagine... How bad it would be to how bad it would be today if that control had never been taken away from the Department of Agriculture? Just imagine how many more pesticides we would be having to deal with today if they had been allowed to stay in charge of it. See, a lot of people, they blame the chemical manufacturers. See, that's wrong. Sometimes it's these federal agencies. Very ignorant ones. See, people are quick to blame the private sector for things. You know, they're quick to go after chemical manufacturers, but they don't think to look at government agencies that screw up all the time. Like, you know, it's like what I say, you know, greed is not just in Wall Street. In fact, that's one of the last places I would look for it because Wall Street is heavily regulated and overly regulated. 
If you want to look for greed and combat it, you need to look where it's where it's not regulated. Where people are not looking. It's the same thing here. Ordinarily, no one would think to look to the Department of Agriculture to check on the usage of pesticides. I would have never thought that. I didn't know that until I read this article. I'm like, who in their right mind would have the Department of Agriculture in charge of that? They're not scientists. They don't study chemicals. Like it's just see see that's the stupidity of the federal government of who they put in charge sometimes. Sometimes the federal government gets it right, but in this case they completely got it wrong. But it got corrected, you know, almost 20 years later. Unfortunately, it took some time for them to wake up. Hey, this department is not who should be in charge of this. Cuz the Department of Agriculture, all they're going to do when they are in charge of insecticides and pesticides, they're going to put their stamp of approval on everything and just let anything and everything through the front door. That's a big problem. So it's not just private sector companies that make mistakes like that. It's also the federal government and these agencies. That's why these federal agencies, they also need oversight. Because they need to be held accountable for what they're doing and also for what they're not doing. It goes both ways on that. But let's move on. It says the amendments require the EPA to assess potential risk the pesticides pose to humans, the environment, and wildlife and weigh these against their benefits, taking action against those for which the risk outweighed the benefits. Can you imagine the Department of Agriculture doing that? No, I cannot. If there anything like farmers would be like, "Ah, I don't read that stuff." That's for city slickers. That's for people to wear a suit every day to read that. That's how those people think. And I, I can speak from experience on this. I'm from Oklahoma. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you straight up, folks. This is how they operate. It is weird. It is weird. I'm like, wow, these people obviously have never left Oklahoma. They obviously don't know how the rest of the planet operates. It's bizarre. So it says in 1988 Congress amended the pesticide registration provisions required requiring re-registration of many pesticides that have been registered before 1984. That's a good thing. As of May 2007, there are 28 listed restricted pesticides of different formulas and mixtures. Any area these pesticides are used or applied is considered a restricted area. Thank goodness, right? Cuz if If you want to know what a farmer thinks like oh this isn't restricted you just spray it and move on. Like like they don't care if they're exposed to something and they don't care if their livestock is exposed to something. They don't care if their neighbor is exposed to a pesticide or or herbicide or whatever. I mean it's ridiculous. And you need to read I've mentioned this before Toxic Drift. It is an excellent book. Way better than Silent Spring. Because it's more based on science. It's not just you know. If you haven't read Silent Spring, you can read it. But at the same time, it just reads like a Lifetime Movie Network show. I don't like drama. I don't. I don't like that. I don't like something that tries to pull on my heartstrings. I'm like, show me the facts. Show me the data. It's black and white, yes and no. Especially when it comes to something like this. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that if someone 
you know, sprays a bunch of insecticide on their property, and yet they don't take protective measures for themselves, of course they're going to be exposed to a cancer-causing agent. Because whatever can kill a bug or a plant can kill you. I mean, I, I just don't understand the disconnect, especially with, with some very ignorant people. I don't care if they're farmers or not, but there, there's a lot of ignorance that people think, oh, well, it, it just kills bugs. I'm like, oh, really? What do you know about bugs? And I've had conversations with people about this. They're like, what do you mean what I know about bugs? I was like, how does this chemical work that you're using? Tell me. Well, I don't know. You just spray it or sprinkle it. Okay, you're telling me about the application, but you're not telling me what does it do to the bug or to the plant to kill it. And they're just like, I don't know. I was like, well, that's the problem. You should know. You need to know what's being sprayed and used on your property, regardless of whether you just own a, a little front yard or if you own a thousand acres. You are responsible for your property. See, what people forget is that a lot of these insecticides, they're usually being sprayed on bugs that are exoskeletal, like beetles and things like that. Like anything that you, you stomp on and it sounds crunchy, I don't mean to be gross, but... Typically, that means it's exoskeletal, right? Like a cockroach, which I hate those. Like those, yeah, I'm not a fan of cockroaches. They creep me out. But here's the thing. The reason why there are chemicals or pesticides or insecticides that can kill bugs like that is because they're made to destroy the skeleton of the bug and permeate the skeleton And I think nuke its central nervous system, if I'm not mistaken. And I think different chemicals do different things. But here's my point. Whatever can harm a bug's exoskeleton can harm our skeleton on the inside of our body. Because just like that bug, we are a living, breathing thing. Although I, I'm not a big fan of bugs, but here's the thing. Whatever can kill wildlife... Or any kind of insect can kill human life. And whenever I say this, they either look at me in shock because the light bulb is coming on. I can see it. You know, it's kind of like their eyes light up and their mouth kind of drops a little bit. I either get that response. I'm like, okay, good. They're waking up to what they've been spraying on their lawn in the city or in the town for X amount of years, and they realize, hey, I've been exposing myself and my neighbor to a really bad chemical. Bugs are not that important. Most bugs do not warrant a poison being sprayed or sprinkled on their property. Most of the time it does not. The other reaction I get is the extreme. Oh, that's nothing. You're just a worrywart. Are you one of them environmentalists? No, actually I'm not. I'm a humanist. I care about people. And when you care about people, you don't go spraying these chemicals like this. Like, if you live in a town and or a city, but specifically a town, I think this happens more in small towns, you'd be surprised how many lawn care companies, they show up, and it's like they take over a neighborhood for business. And they're spraying these lawns with that tacky green dyed pesticide or insecticide stuff. And you know what? You can't even go walking down the street because it smells horrible. 
it it's horrible. I'm like, you know, if you can smell a chemical in the air, that means it's getting in your lungs. And if it's getting into your lungs, that means it's getting into your bloodstream. And if it's getting into your bloodstream, that means it's being circulated all throughout your body. That's why this stuff is serious. I'm not saying we shouldn't ever use insecticides or fungicides. I'm not saying we shouldn't ever use them. They do have their place. It's just the overusage. I mean, it's literally overkill. It's ridiculous. I just think, you know, like people are just so anti-bug. It it's so extreme. I just think, you know, are are you really willing to put your life at risk just because you can't stand daffodils or something, not daffodils, what are those things called? There there's this weed that looks yellow or orange in the front yard usually. Whatever, a dandelion, I had to think of it for a second. Are you do you do you really think it's appropriate to spray a harsh chemical because of a dandelion popped up in your yard? You know what you do? You just pluck it out of your ground. You pluck it out of the ground with its roots. Cuz guess what? If you were if you pluck it completely out of the ground with its roots, it won't grow back. Because you uprooted it. I mean, that that's the simple thing to do and the safer thing to do. But People don't always look at it that way. It's actually quite rare for people to do actual gardening. Like I think people forget what gardening actually means. It's like they they rely on a chemical or a landscaper to spray a bunch of chemicals on their property to get rid of the weeds. I'm like that's not how you're supposed to get weed get rid of weeds if you're a gardener. If you're truly a gardener, you get out there and you pull up those weeds. You know, there are people that think they they are a professional gardener or something or or that they're super talented at gardening just because they went to Lowe's, bought a pretty flower and put it in a pot. That doesn't make you a gardener. All that means is that you went to Lowe's, bought a pretty flower and put it in a pot. Gardening means you're out there sweating. Like you're actually working with the dirt. It's just this this misconception about stuff. And I'll say this, I am impressed with people that have gardens inside their homes like when they live in an apartment or something like in New York or San Francisco. You know, they take a lot of a lot of care and time and they put a lot of thought into what they grow. because a lot of them are growing herbs or fruits or vegetables for them to have without having to go to the grocery store cuz they're trying to avoid pesticides those are gardeners and they may not even have a front yard or a backyard but they are literally dealing with purchasing soil putting it in a pot and they're usually growing stuff from a seed that takes patience And plus here's the thing. When you grow stuff the old-fashioned way and you do the work yourself, you learn a lot more and you know a lot more. Like you become self-reliant. 
I think that's a lot better than relying on a landscaper to just show up and spray a bunch of chemicals on your lawn once a week or something. And then you know maybe your grandkids come over and they're playing in your front lawn without any shoes on. Gee, you're exposing your grandchildren to chemicals. Do you care about that? You'd be surprised how many people don't don't think about it. And there are people that look at me in shock when I say this stuff and there are others that they get angry. Like, "Oh, are you saying I don't care?" I'm like, "Well, I'm not saying you don't care. I'm just saying you're not doing your your due diligence. You're not thinking about what you're doing." I think some people innocently don't understand chemicals and the seriousness of it. And others they just literally don't care. You know, if it's if it's important for a store to let its customers know if there's paint being sprayed and to stay away from a certain area of the store, then aren't we supposed to make people aware, hey, if you come over to my house, don't walk on the front lawn. I just had it sprayed with pesticides. Like that's the due diligence. Just care about people. Because if you care about people, then you will care about the environment and you will care about people's pets. Like I mean, you know, all that stuff goes hand in hand. It's just caring about people. It literally is that simple. I wish more people would wake up to that, but I like to keep things simple, so it, it weeds out the gray area. So things are simple, black and white, yes and no. Because again, I look at it this way: I try and keep things keep things as simple as possible. That way, when something difficult arises, it's not as difficult because I've already handled this other stuff. I've already simplified other areas of my life and other decision making skills. I've already simplified it so that way I have the energy and the brain space and the patience to handle this other stuff. It's very important to look at life that way because it will make things so much simpler, especially when passing rules, laws and regulations. That's why Obamacare and other laws like that that were so huge, so massive and so dense, it's like how could anybody know what's in there? How can anyone know everything that's in there? They should have passed it one section at a time. I would have respect for that. Cuz that would show me that they care and that they are doing their due diligence in terms of legislation. And I think that would have impressed the American people if they had passed Obamacare and just simplified it and passed it section by section. That way it would give everybody a chance to know, hey, this is what's coming down the pipeline. But because Obamacare was not passed like that, it was passed as one big giant blob of misery. Like it was scary. I remember feeling uneasy about that law because it's like I don't know what's going to happen to my health insurance that I purchase on my own. I don't know if I'm going to have doctors in my network. I don't know if I'm going to have access to medicines that I need and guess what? I was right. Because of Obamacare, I had less access to doctors and to medicines that I needed. 
And as Obamacare, there were different parts of it that were enacted. They were phased in. So year after year, a new part of that law was enacted. It's like, well, what are we going to be dealing with this year? It's like, what's the new New Year's resolution? Oh, find out what the next hellhole is going to be in regards to Obamacare and it being enacted into our daily lives in America. That's how horrible it was. So if there are people listening to this podcast, which I know there are in other countries, it was hell on earth having to deal with Obamacare and not knowing what what's going to happen with your health care. Because you had a tyrannical government that was systematically trying to take over the health insurance industry and take over all of our hospitals. You know, have every doctor, every nurse, every medical staff person report to the government. If that's not fascism, I don't know what is. The federal government tried to take over an entire industry. Well, guess what? The Nazis did the same thing when they invaded different countries. They would take over the banks. They would confiscate people's property. You know, I don't know if very many people know this, but the Nazis even this is so strange, but if you think about how cruel and wicked they were, maybe it's not so strange, but Did you know the Nazis even took over the real estate industry? They also took over the hospitality industry. They confiscated hotels and resorts, especially from those that were owned by Jewish people. That is fascism. So whenever a government, I don't care in what country it's in, whenever they try to take over an entire industry, that is very much a red flag that's very concerning because what does any government know about one single industry that's not its job it's not the job of any government to be in control of an industry and to take it over and you know who did that and completely failed because it always failed the soviet union did that the ussr now they were communist and very evil communist But the Communist Party claimed to be against rich people, hated rich people, and they claimed that you know all rich people are bad. Your boss is bad. Oh, let's see, the banks are bad. Everybody's bad. So you should just give everything to us, and if you're not going to give it to us, we're going to take it over. Well, guess what? The Communist Party took over everything in Russia. in the Soviet Union. They took it all over and they ruined it. They ruined it. And there was so much starvation and disease. It it was at an astronomical rate during that time during the Cold War as well. Because guess what? The government didn't know what it was doing. And here's the thing. Communists claim to hate money, but they don't. They love money. They they have a problem with greed. The only reason why they hate rich people and they hate bankers and and anyone that has more money than them is because those people have more money than them and they want their money so what communists do and what fascists also do is they rile up the people they rile up the people and they get them wound up by talking about oh isn't it bad how you know how rich those rich people are they're just taking your money 
they feed off the emotions of poor people and the middle class. And what's interesting is that whenever communists or fascists take over a country or an industry, it annihilates and gets rid of the middle class altogether. Cuz then all you have are the super rich and the poor, and even then the super rich become poor. There was massive poverty. Every single time there's fascism and communism, there is a massive amount of starvation, disease and poverty. But yet the people in charge of the government, whereas the communist government or fascist government, they they just continuously blame rich people for the for their actions. Or they blame a certain group. That's what the Nazis did. They blamed the Jews for all the problems of Germany. Like, how could people fall for that lie? But here's the thing. People fell for it because they weren't happy. They wanted to cling on to something that was a promise. How to describe this? That they were clinging to a false promise and to a false doctrine that promised to get them out of poverty and they were willing to throw anyone under the bus. Even an entire group of people. an entire race the jewish race they were willing to throw to throw away the lives of millions of people to justify their greed see that's the problem with tyrannical governments see tyrannical governments they don't just drop out of the sky you know the, the nazi party you know I think they got the ball rolling in the early 30s. I mean, you think about how long they were in power, but like they didn't take over everything all at once in the beginning. Like they they had to recruit people. They had to convince people that they were right and everybody else was wrong. Let me put it this way. It takes time to indoctrinate people. But once people are indoctrinated, they will fall for anything. That's why you have to be careful what you believe in. And also, you need to be careful what you stand up for. Cuz sometimes what people defend is reprehensible. I mean, you think about it. You have people that were were Nazis and believed in fascism and they they were okay with torturing people they stood up for that they didn't stand up against it they stood up for it and they thought they were justified and right i mean that's i know that's probably extreme to talk about that but it's important to say these things because as i said tyrannical governments don't just fall out of the sky They take time to brew. They take time to grow. It takes time for a false doctrine to take over groups of people. It takes time to convince people. So you just have to be careful with things like that. But getting back to this in regards this we're going to talk a little bit about the regulations of this in regards to the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide and Rodenticide Act. Oh, I want to mention something real quick about rodents. Okay, there are several products that I do not agree with in regards to catching mice and rats. 
I think it's very cruel. It's that sticky tape stuff. I think that is so cruel. I think if you're going to catch a mouse or a rat, you need to do that that trap that just like whops them on the head really hard. You know like where you use a piece of cheese or peanut butter and it's like a spring trap. You need to put them out of their misery quickly. But that that sticky tape glue thing, that is so cruel to do that to them because they can still be alive while they're on that sticky tape and then they're thrown into the garbage alive. I don't like rodents. I don't like them, but to be cruel like that, that is sick. And there's some people that see no problem with that. And here's another thing: do not put poison out for rats or mice. Do not do that because there are rats and mice that are eaten by cats, hawks, eagles, snakes, wildlife. Who who would have thought? Guess what? Whatever you poison. is whatever can be consumed by something else and guess what not only are you killing the rat or the mouse but you're killing off other wildlife like I, there is this one job i had this was several years ago um i was working a contract where i was working at this this warehouse and they were um i was handling their data in regards to cars that had been hit by hail damage like really bad so i was processing um the claims and things like that for all these cars and they had a, a mouse problem in in the hangar or or whatever you want to call it factory hangar warehouse and um so my boss was telling me about I was like well I have a cat I was like I can bring my cat in she'll catch him and she goes oh that'd be great and then she proceeds to tell me yeah the poison didn't work I was like whoa you've already put poison down well yeah I'm like then I'm not bringing my cat in why not because you've put poison down. If my cat catches one of those rats or mice, she could die. I was like, "Do you realize that?" And this girl just looked at me and she goes, "Oh, I never thought of that." I'm like, "You've got to be kidding me." Well, then she told the guys, I guess she initially told them that I'd bring my cat in and then she went in there and said, "Well, she's not going to bring her cat in because we've already put poison down and she doesn't want to take a chance of her cat dying." You won't believe this. The guys that worked at that warehouse got mad at me. Got mad at me because I wouldn't bring my cat in. I'm like, "Are you kidding me? I'm you've put poison down." Like, see, that's the stupidity of so many people. Now, for all I know, maybe they were cat haters, I don't know, but you know what? Poison is poison. We should not be using it like that. We, we I have such an issue with that. It's just it's so wrong. And here's another thing. Like there is a neighbor, I may have mentioned this before because we've talked about the EPA in times past that I had a neighbor and she had all these grubs in her front yard. She had all these bugs or whatever, bugs and grubs, and she hated it. She got so angry. Like overly angry. Like agitated. I'm like, "What are you so angry about?" She goes, "Well, these grubs, these bugs. I paid my lawn guy to take care of this." I was like, "What do you mean take care of it?" She goes, "Just Spray some chemicals on them, kill them. I was like, you spray all that out here? I was like, there are kids that play in your yard. You have people that walk their pets. I was like, you're exposing people to chemicals. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I was like, and another thing, when when you are having a lawn guy spray to kill off these bugs, you're also killing the birds because she was noticing, and, and another lady was noticing. 
We don't have as many birds in our neighborhood like we used to, and we also don't have as many frogs or toads or lizards like we used to. We used to have a really neat neighborhood. It was really pretty. You had you had natural wildlife. It wasn't crazy. It wasn't like a zoo or anything. But you know, it was just normal everyday wildlife stuff. You know, stuff that you would expect in your garden, you know, whatever the case may be. I was like, "Well, maybe it's because of all the chemicals you've been spraying because guess what the birds eat? They eat grubs, they eat insects. Like everything is food for something else." I was like, "Why don't you give nature a chance to work?" She got angry at me. Like a nut, she got angry at me. And it's like, "Whoa." Like she just glared at me. I was just like, "Wow, you learn a lot about people." But, you know, that's why you got to be careful about whose house you go over to because you may not realize what they have had sprayed on their on their front lawn, their backyard and in their house. Cuz I used to never ask if people spray stuff in their house, now I do. Because people they they overutilize chemicals. They overutilize insecticide, pesticides, rodenticides, all this stuff. I mean, it's just it's very concerning. So, just FYI, there's nothing wrong with asking people, "Hey, do you spray anything in your house for bugs or rodents or anything?" Because if you do, I'm not comfortable coming in your house. There's nothing wrong with saying that. Here's the thing. If anything, you will be helping them to realize they should not be spraying those things in their house. See, I've had cats for years. I love cats. So, being that I typically always have one or two cats, I never spray stuff or leave chemicals out on on the floor or anywhere in my house. I never do that. Because the risk is too great for me and my cat. I don't want to be exposed to that and I don't want my cat to be exposed to that. You'd be surprised how many people just spray stuff without thinking about it and it's just like I roll my eyes so much I feel like I need botox. I mean it's just insane. And you know I'm not again I'm not crazy liberal. I'm not I'm not even a registered democrat. Like I'm a registered republican and I'm concerned about this. I mean as I've said before in times past I think there are way too many pesticides. I think there are way too many chemicals being sold over the counter. Like at Lowe's and Home Depot. And again, I love those companies. They're great. But I think there's too much that's readily available to the average everyday consumer. That concerns me greatly. I mean, people they they just love killing stuff. It's weird. It's not just bugs. So I may have already said this story before I don't remember but um cuz we've done so many episodes and that's a good thing to have a lot of work to do that's great. Here's the thing though. Um like my some of my uh, parents friends they had problems with moles in their yard. Several of them had had problems with moles. And so they were going to the store and buying chemicals and just injecting it into the ground. And I was like, "Are they crazy?" And my dad's like, "Yeah, they're crazy. They're just they just kill everything it's weird and you know what is funny is that you know we had moles in our yard or my parents did they they had moles in their yard and what's funny is that you could tell that there were multiple moles living there in their yard and um there were three different mounds or whatever and so we we just kind of made a joke there's 
There's the papa mole, the mama mole, and the baby mole. <laughs> we just made a joke about it, and we could tell when they had moved uh, their place of residence underneath the ground because you know you could see it. You could see a new little mound or whatever. It was so cute. And what people don't know about moles is that they eat grubs. They actually clean up the soil. So what's interesting is that people are are putting poisons in the ground to kill the moles and then they're putting poison on top of the ground on the soil to kill grubs. Well gee, if you just let the mole do its job, you wouldn't have a problem with any kind of bug because they This may not be what people want to hear, but this is how moles are. Because I looked them up. I was like, "Oh, I don't know anything about moles. I'm going to look them up." Okay, so what moles do is they dig little tunnels um, underneath the the surface, right? And so when they catch grubs, they they bite them and they inject their saliva into whatever bug they catch, and it temporarily paralyzes them. And then they drag that. insect or grub into a corner of their underground house and they keep them there as like it's like having a little refrigerator you know they keep all their food in one spot so they catch all these grubs and they hoard them into a spot underground and then they they eat them now you may have just been extremely grossed out by what i just said but here's the thing that's nature the mole is programmed to do that it knows already what to do but you'd be surprised how many people want to interfere with nature all the time all the time and then they wonder why they they have um all these problems all, all these problems with their yard um with bugs or insects or rodents or whatever the case may be guess what if you have a mouse problem get a cat there's plenty of them up for adoption and cats are great Cats are super smart, they're very loyal. But you have to remember that cats are like people, they can be moody. Nothing wrong with that. I think they're cute. But here's the thing. Why not use nature first? Use what's already naturally available first before before you go for the big guns, so to speak. Like people need to calm down when it comes to um poisons. I, I it's very concerning to me. the high rate of poison that people are willing to purchase spray on their ho- excuse me spray on their house and spray on their yard i don't get that i just think wow you you're willing to sacrifice your health to get rid of a stupid beetle i mean you got to be kidding me and then there are people that get angry that there are spiders outside so they spray for that then they get mad that there's all these bugs so they spray for that well did you know that spiders eat bugs spiders are a natural insecticide just leave them outside i mean of course you can kill a spider inside but you know how you kill a spider inside it's called get a magazine or a newspaper or a flip-flop And if they're really too quick for you or if you're really scared of it spray them with Windex. That's what I do. So then when you go to pick them up, you squish them with a paper towel and at the same time you're picking them up with a paper towel 
you're also cleaning your floor or the glass on your window with the Windex. So it's kind of like a two for one special. I learned that. So just FYI, there's always a way around your situation, and there's always a solution. Like, don't always reach for the chemical. I think that is such a mistake. So anyway, some uh, some information about the regulations in regards to this act. It says in order to be considered for use, pesticides had to undergo 120 tests with regards to safety and its actual effectiveness. Because of these rigorous tests, only one in 139,000 actually made it through to be used in agriculture. Now, isn't that interesting? Let me get a drink of water. Just imagine if the Department of Agriculture was still in charge, would they have done all those tests? And there probably would have been way more that would have made it through for use in agriculture. Why? Because they have favoritism towards the agriculture agricultural industry. That's why sometimes you have to have someone from the outside conduct your test and to show whether or not something is effective or whether or not something is safe. Sometimes people are are blinded by their own favoritism and I don't mean that negatively. It's just sometimes they're just blindsided by what they personally want even though it may not be safe for the general public. So moving on, it says in addition to the FIFRA, the Pesticide Registration Improvement Act of 2003 amended the the authorized fees for certain products, assessed the process of collecting maintenance fees, and decided on a review process for approving the pesticides. The purpose of this is to ensure a smooth implementation of pesticide rules and regulations to its users. That's actually really smart. I'm just kind of disappointed that they waited till 2003 to do that part of it. But, you know, maybe they were working out um some issues or tweaking it, who knows, but you know, there's some things that I wish had taken effect earlier because it would have guarded and protected us way sooner in terms of being exposed to these different uh toxic chemicals. But You know, we need to look at the plus side of this. There are improvements that are made every day. Some we hear about, some we don't know about. So that's the good thing about this podcast is that we go over things that you will not hear in the news. We go over things that you will not hear in everyday life. We go over things that are not usually on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, and you know, the other channels like we go over things that people don't think to talk about and they may not realize that hey this is really important and people need to be reminded of this because even though the EPA was created in the 70s there are rules laws and regulations that were passed at that time and since then but i mean i was born in 84 how how would i know about the EPA unless i was told about or unless i researched it you know what i mean so it's important that we remind ourselves of the history of things because we want future generations to be aware of what's currently going on and what led up to this moment in time and the reason why we do things we do how we do them now i guess is what i'm trying to say there's a reason for what we do now so that way it helps people understand hey this is why this makes sense if we need to change something or amend something 
Let's bring it to the table. Let's talk about. But until that point, people need to have a general education about this stuff. And it's not being talked about, and it needs to be. Let me get a drink of water. Okay, so the next section is briefly about import and export. Now, this is really interesting because it doesn't talk much specifically about other countries and I wish it did. But um two of the biggest polluters on the planet are India and China. So, it's very important that the United States be strict about what it imports and exports. Because as I've said in times past, we have problems with China making bad goods and with India making really bad generic drugs that are not safe. So just because we can do business with someone doesn't mean that we should. Like we need to practice some caution. And we just need to practice some due diligence, like just practice some set standards, policies and procedures that that guard and protect us. That doesn't mean we can't ever do business with someone that's, you know, outside the outside the United States, but it just means that we need to make sure that everything is on the up and up because if it's not on the up and up, that poses a huge problem for us as a country. Especially in regards to public health and safety. That always gets my attention and always gets my attention quickly. So let's go ahead and talk about this. It says pesticides intended for import into the United States require a complete notice of a, of arrival also known as an NOA through the US Customs and Border Protection. Now in a later podcast we will go over um all these different federal agencies and some of them are really fascinating. It's really interesting what they do. I mean God bless them. I mean God bless the US Customs and Border Protection. They do so much that we don't know about to protect us. It's really interesting. So You know, hold your horses for that podcast because it's going to be a good one. So it says, if this NOA is not complete, the product would not make it through customs. That's actually quite good. The NOA lists the identity of the product, the amount within the package, the date of arrival, and where it can be inspected. There are also other rules listed below. So there's five of them. So number one. It must comply with standards set with the United States pesticide law. So basically, we're holding them accountable based on what we know and what we do here in the United States. Their laws mean something in their country, but we have our laws here. There's nothing wrong with that. We are supposed to operate that way. So don't feel like you need to shame and blame the United States just for the sake of inclusivism. In fact, you should never shame or blame your homeland. All you should ever do is try and make it better. And it will never get better if all you do is shame and blame. We need to be positive about our country and our future, right? Number 2, the pesticide has to be registered with the EPA, except if it's on the exemption list. Number 3, it cannot be adulterated or violative. I was trying to think of that word. I was thinking volatile. That's not the, that's not it. It's violative, meaning it violates a federal law or a state law. or a customs law whatever the case may be. Number 4, there must be proper labeling. That's very important. Number 5, the product must have been produced in an EPA registered establishment that files annually. Pesticides intended for export to other parts of the world do not have a registration requirement under certain conditions. The conditions are as follows. Number 1, 
the foreign purchaser has to submit a statement to the EPA stating it knows the product is not registered and can't be sold on US soil. Number 2. The pesticide must contain a label that quote not registered for use in the United States. End quote. Number 3. The label requirements must be met and the label must contain the English language and the language of the receiving country or countries. That's really smart. Number 4. The pesticide must comply with all FIFRA establishment registration and reporting requirements. That's good. Number five, it must comply with FIFRA record keeping requirements. Excellent. I love to see that. Now we're going to talk about registration of pesticide products. Okay. So it says before a company can register its pesticide products with the EPA, it must know what the EPA considers a pesticide a pesticide. under the law I was going to say a pest <laughs> what it considers a what it considers a pesticide under the law according to section 2U of FIFRA 7 USC section 316U the term pesticide is defined as the following number 1 any substance or mixture of substances intended for preventing destroying repelling or mitigating any pest number 2 Any substance or mixture of substances intended for use as a plant regulator, defoliant, or I think that's desiccant. I'm not sure what that is, but it's a D E S I C C A N T. And number three, it says any nitrogen stabilizer. Goes on to say an applicant will have to prove that the pesticide active ingredient, pesticide product, or proposed new use of a registered pesticide. will not cause unreasonable adverse effects on human health and the environment. Under section 408 of the Federal Drug, sorry, Federal Food Drug and Cosmetic Act, Cosmetic Act, sorry, my my nasal congestion, Cosmetic Act, also known as FFDCA, the EPA can also regulate the amount of pesticide residues permissible on or or in food feed items. by establishing a safe level meaning there is a reasonable certainty of no harm from the exposure to the residue whether directly from the consumption of such food or from other non-occupational sources that concerns me because i was always taught and raised that whatever foods you purchase at the store in regards to fruits and vegetables you always wash them off always 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 And there's a reason for that. It goes on to say for food crops, the EPA is required to establish a tolerance level, the maximum safe level of pesticides present on or in the particular food or feed commodity. Isn't that kind of concerning? Now I understand why there are more and more people that only purchase organic fruits and vegetables because they don't want to take a risk of pesticides. I don't blame them. So the next section is just briefly about re-registration of pesticides. So it says a majority of older registered pesticides were required to be re-registered under guidelines set by the amendments in 1972, 1988 and 1996 in order to meet current health and safety standards, labeling requirements and for risk regulation and moderation. The Food Quality Protection Act, also known as FQPA, amended FIFRA to require all older pesticides to cause no harm to infants, children and sensitive individuals within reasonable certainty. 
So here's the thing. I know they mention infants and children and sensitive individuals, but this should be this should go towards all peoples, including adults. See, because what is considered sensitive individuals? See, that's the thing. If it if it can affect an infant or a child, it can affect an adult. Because we we all have bodies. We all we all have red blood cells, white blood cells, tissues, muscles. bone marrow like we're exactly the same we're just a different size most of us so i think that needs to be changed to why not men women children infants like everybody cover everybody see because there's a thing if you don't cover everybody especially in the wording then you're leaving a loophole that's the issue And I've noticed that like I used to never pinpoint stuff with this when it comes to talking about you know infants and children and you know you know sensitive individuals and things like that but then when I started realizing hey that leaves the rest of us in harm's way like it just made me feel forgotten I'm just like wow so if you're a healthy adult you don't matter I mean I I I got a I got to call it like a seed on this. I mean, if we're going to call a spade a spade and other things, we have to call it here. And here's the other thing. Words matter, especially when it comes to law, whether it's federal law or state law, because you're dealing with legislation. Legislation sets the groundwork for what is permissible and what is not permissible. So basically, based on what this says here, healthy adults are fair game. in regards to exposing them to chemicals that's my issue here's the thing if you're a healthy woman like i am let's say i get pregnant you know if i don't matter then why would my unborn child matter in regards to this law even though i know i matter and my unborn child matters it's that because healthy women are not included like healthy adults are not included in this description It's not protecting future generations. It's it's not protecting the unborn. And that's a big issue because children do matter. So that's why things like this should be all encompassing. Like we shouldn't be cherry picking oh these people matter, these people don't. These people matter, these people don't. That's not being inclusive. That's being exclusive. That's not right. And you know, in regards to rules, laws, and regulations, especially at the legislative level, we need to work on getting rid of loopholes because loopholes cause a huge problem, especially for the consumer. I mean, it really causes an issue there because the consumer has every right, regardless of whether they're male or female, healthy or whatever the case may be. It doesn't matter. what age they are or what sex they are or where they live they should know that they are safe but if healthy adults are excluded from stuff like this that's a loophole for manufacturers of chemicals i'm not against manufacturers of chemicals not by any means because we do need them but i'm saying that when you leave a loophole here you also create another loophole in another spot that you may not know about until it's too late and then there's a lawsuit because something tragic happened. So if we could work on getting rid of the loopholes, I think it would make things better, my personal opinion.
Now there are fees in order to registering a pesticide or re-registering. The fees range from $50,000 to $150,000. So it's not cheap. It's not cheap to register your product or to re-register it. Next we're going to talk about regulated non-pesticidal products not requiring registration. And it's called adjuvants. I'm not sure how to pronounce that word, but it's A D J U V A N T S. These are chemicals added to enhance the performance or efficacy and or alter the physical properties of the pesticidal agents. More than 200 EPA registered pesticides recommend specific addition of one or more of these chemicals into the pesticidal mixture to improve overall efficacy. Recognized as other ingredients, the EPA also establishes tolerance levels for these chemicals, but they are not required to be registered. I think that's a mistake. And I'm going to stand up for a second cuz I need to stretch my legs. I think that's a mistake because I know that when I go shopping whether for a pesticide or fungicide or herbicide whatever I need help with which is very rare very rare that I shop for one but when I do I'm always kind of taken aback at the list of other ingredients I'm like that's really creepy because it will say 1% of this active ingredient that will be what is killing bugs or whatever but then it'll say 99% other ingredients and I'm like what's that other ingredients we need to know that as the consumer We need to know what we are exposing ourselves to, what we are exposing the environment to, and what we are exposing our children and our pets to, and even our neighbors. We need to know what those are. Because if we don't know what they are, then we're pretty ignorant on it and we, you know, we don't know what we should or should not be putting on our lawns or exposing ourselves to. So that is an issue with that. And I think it's very unfortunate that the EPA has tolerated that and has allowed it because you know sometimes other ingredients can cause allergic reactions in people especially if you have you know like food allergies or sensitivities or maybe you have an autoimmune disorder you know you know those other ingredients could greatly inflame that i mean that's that's serious okay so moving on to the enforcement part of this let me get a drink of water cuz the air is very dry here The weather in Oklahoma went from cold to really hot. It's like wow, big temperature change. Okay. But that is normal for Oklahoma. We have extreme weather. So, in regards to enforcement of this act, it says under FIFRA, no individual may sell, use or distribute a pesticide not registered with the United States EPA, also known as the Environmental Protection Agency. It says in regards to unlawful acts it says here are some examples of it of unlawful acts excuse me number 1 distributing selling or delivering any unregistered pesticide number 2 making any advertising claim about a pesticide not included in the registration statement number 3 selling any registered pesticide if its content does not conform to label data number 4 falsification of any test related information or the submission of any false data to support registration number 5 selling an adulterated or misbranded pesticide number 6 detaching altering defacing or destroying any part of a container or label number 7 refusing to keep records or permit authorized EPA inspections that one gets my attention there 
because they um, they should have good records and they should be um, authorized to um, that the EPA should be authorized to make inspections with stuff like this. Number eight, making a guarantee other than that specified by the label. Number nine, advertising a restricted use pesticide without giving the product classification. Number ten, making a restricted use pesticide available to a non-certified applicator. Number eleven, using a pesticide in any manner not consistent with the label. So those are pretty serious. pretty serious indeed but think about it. there's a reason why they have those there probably probably because someone was doing those things and also they're trying to cover their bases to keep people safe okay so next we're going to talk about civil penalties and it's real quick it says under section 14a1 commercial applicators wholesalers dealers and retailers may be assessed a civil penalty for not more than $5,000 for each offense private applicators would be given a warning for the first offense and a fine up to $1,000 may be assessed for each subsequent violation next we're going to talk about federal and criminal penalties now these are a little more serious obviously because you could possibly do jail time with these puppies okay so it says um violated acts are charged as misdemeanors and subject to fines and or imprisonment a private applicator subject to $1000 and or 30 days imprisonment a commercial applicator is subject to $25000 and or up to 1 year imprisonment a manufacturer or producer is subject to $50000 and or up to 1 year imprisonment the next section talks about um what is called a special review so fifra requires the EPA to continually monitor and update registered pesticides for any new information concerning their safety. Registrants are required to promptly report any new evidence of adverse side effects and to continually conduct studies to aid in risk assessments. And that's really good. And here's why, because if you remember in one of the previous podcasts we discussed um there were new how to describe this There were new and better laboratory procedures that were invented and utilized in the 70s way better than what was done in the 50s. So that's why these things are continually reviewed and more research is done because our testing gets better. Like we can detect things at smaller amounts and smaller levels so that way we can have a clearer understanding of should we still continue to use this or maybe put it on the shelf and not use it anymore. So the more sensitive our tests get, the more easily it is to identify adverse health health effects and that's a really good thing to do because we need that okay so the next section this one was interesting i didn't even think about this it's pesticides and endangered species so it says the endangered species act protects and promotes animal and plant recovery of ones in danger of extinction due to human activity Under this act, EPA must also consider the dangers of animals and plants when registering a new pesticide. The pesticide must not harm the listed endangered and threatened animals and inhabitants. To protect the endangered species with the EPA program, the following uh, was implemented. Number 1, sound science is used to assess risk to the listed species. Number 2, there is an attempt at finding means to avoid concerns of uh, listed species. Number 3, When concerns of the listed species aren't avoidable, 
They consult with the fish and wildlife services scientists. Now that is awesome, and here's why. Um, we're going to go over different federal agencies, and one of them is the Fish and Wildlife Agency, and also Marine Life. Those are really interesting agencies. I never really understood everything that they did, but they do a lot to protect our environment, like far above, far above and beyond what EPA does. I'm very impressed with them. Okay, so then number four, let's see here. Consult usage limitations when the Fish and Wildlife Service express a potential adverse effect on a particular species based on a biological opinion. In order to implement the usage limitations mentioned above, the EPA will number one add a generic label to the pesticide. Number two, develop bulletins containing habitat location and pesticide use limitations. Number three. Uh, distribute the bulletins containing this information to pesticide users, and number four, providing a toll-free number for users to contact regarding information and bulletins and how to obtain one. Now, here's the thing: these four things are awesome. I think they're great, but do you really think people are going to follow those? No. I mean, if you think about the farmers that I discussed previously, they are the last people to think they need to consult with anyone. The only thing they consult with is probably the cigar or the cigarette that's hanging out of their mouth. I mean, it's just like they're above it all. So, you know, those are some great ideas. I just wonder how is how is that going to be enforceable? Because when you're dealing with people that are not always knowledgeable or as educated, and I don't mean that they're all ignorant or stupid, not by any means, but you know. Um, It just gets old when dealing with people that don't practice safety, and they don't care about safety precautions. That has always bothered me, even when I was younger. Like, for example, you know, if there were guys that that I would date, if they were if they lived a way dangerous lifestyle, I didn't date them anymore, because they would often make fun of me for being too conservative and not taking risk. And I'm like, you know, like. I don't know what planet you're from, but you're a moron. I was like, what you're doing could could kill you, like extremely, and you know, very quickly. So, you know, let me put it this way: when people do not value human life, let me put it this way. I've noticed that cocky, arrogant people they care about their safety, but they don't care about other people's safety because they don't value human life in the way that you think. You know, just because someone takes really good care of themselves, or cocky, or arrogant, or even if they're some stupid farmer that doesn't really take care of his appearance, they're still cocky and arrogant in that they don't care to do what's right. That's what irritated me, especially when I was in my twenties and I'd meet some of these guys. I'm like, you know, I really don't think we should be doing that. Like they would be willing to break the law. I mean, it was really strange what they would want to do. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I was like, I'm not. I don't do that kind of stuff, and I think that what you're doing is really wrong. And so it's like, look, you can make fun of me all day and all night. You know, at the end of the day, you're the one that's probably going to end up in jail, not me. So it's like, you know, we need to practice ethics and safety and have good morals and have good character here. So it's one of those things that, you know, it's good to have rules, laws, and regulations. But if you are relying on on consumers to always do the right thing. Um, you're in for a surprise. <laughs> They don't, and you know I would say that I would say that most people have good intentions. But here's the thing: 
people can people can have good intentions but if what they're doing causes a health and safety risk then the good intention goes out the window that's the thing good intentions sound good but if someone's doing something that's not right then their good intentions mean nothing to me because they're doing something that's either not healthy, not safe, immoral, illegal, a danger to, you know, people, the environment, you know, people's pets, whatever the case may be, and you'd be surprised how many people don't see anything wrong with what they do. That has always concerned me. Even when I was a little kid that concerned me. Because, you know, I think I've said this before, like there were certain adults I did not trust as a child because I was like there's something off with them or there's something not right. Like there's just Mm, I don't want to be around that. You know, your kids are not stupid. You know, they're they're miniature adults and if anything they hear and see everything because people don't think that kids notice stuff when they do. But needless to say, you know, I'm very glad that they passed the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide and Roundside Act. I just wish it went a little further and I'm surprised to hear myself say that, but just based on what i've read and some of the experiences i've had in regards to how people view animal life and plant life and how they view crops and things like that it's it's really disturbing to me how people how they live their life and they think that what they do doesn't affect other people you know, you know what's interesting is that and i'll close with this what's interesting is that people that live in their bubble and they don't think that what they do affects other people they they are quick to point the finger at drug manufacturers whenever there's like a spill or something but yet those very same people don't ever point the finger at themselves you know in regards to what they are exposing themselves or family or their neighbors to in regards to chemicals and pesticides and things like that you know there are great many things that start in the home because it's character building. You know what's interesting is that the number one type of person that I can't stand to work with is someone that behaves one way at home and then is a totally different person at work. It's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. They're basically living two lifestyles and they give themselves permission to do that for the sake of the job, for the sake of the money, for the sake of the title that they may or may not have or for the sake of their position of power within their company or the company that they work for that comes down to arrogance and cockiness it's one thing to have to take pride in yourself and to have pride and you know I don't mean pride in a bad way but you know like to take pride in your work and to do a good job well if you're cocky and arrogant the only pride you have is a kind of pride that nobody likes It's all about me kind of thing. Whereas when you take pride in your work, it means you take pride in that you're doing the right thing, not the wrong thing, and you take pride in the fact that you can help people. You know, there's a difference in that. Like I can't stand working with people that make it all about them. They're cocky, they're arrogant, and here's the thing. Cocky, arrogant people are some of the most foolish, stupid people I've ever met because they will not admit when they make a mistake. and they don't think that anything they do is wrong. And then guess what? It's anybody and everybody that's in their life that has to clean up their mess because they don't want to clean it up. And they expect other people to clean up after them, to cover for them. 
Well, I don't cover for other people. I don't do that. I do not do that and I will not do that. Because I know that the more that someone covers up for someone else, the more you are enabling that bad person to continue what they're doing. That's why whenever I go over to someone's house or I'm getting to know someone, I talk about, you know, hey, you know, if I'm going to be coming over to your house, I need to know if you spray any chemicals or anything like that. Or when is the yard man coming because I won't come during that week or that day. And it's not shaming and blaming, it's it's looking out for my health and safety. And see, here's the thing. Whenever I look out for my health and safety, it encourages others to look out for their health and their safety because a light bulb comes on. It's planting a seed of humanity to realize, "Hey, you need to take this stuff seriously and, and not throw away your health just for the sake of having a, a beautiful flawless yard that if the lawn man doesn't come for one week, oops, a weed popped up." It just feels like people are constantly in competition with each other and and that needs to stop. Like the only time you're in a competition is if you're playing a sport or or if the race is on so to speak. I mean it's just if everybody was doing what they were called to do in their life, like what God has on his heart for you, then you will be a lot happier just doing what you know you're called to do as opposed to just competing with people that Here's the thing, if you're doing what you're called to do, you won't have to compete because you will already be succeeding. You you won't feel like it's drudgery. You know, I just see this competition with people all the time, like my yard this, my kids that, my job this, my boss that, my car this, my boat that. It's just it it just gets old. And here's the thing, if you're constantly competing with other people, I guarantee you you are walking in misery. You're not walking in joy, peace or happiness. You're constantly being competitive and I know because I've been there. I've worked in some very competitive jobs and you know what? I was always miserable. Um my health took a beating because of it. And I thought, you know how stupid am I to do that? Cuz if you don't have your health, you're not going to live very long. That's just a fact. So just realize that you matter, your health matters, and what you want to do with your life matters. And you may be thinking, what does this have to do with the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Roadside Act? Here's the thing: if you don't care about your health, then you're not going to care about what you're being exposed to. And if you don't care about your health and you don't care about what you're being exposed to, then you're not going to fulfill your destiny in your lifetime. And in fact, your life might be cut short because you didn't care enough about yourself. And I don't mean that harshly. I'm just saying you need to care. It's very important. You know, this isn't a feel-good chicken soup for the soul episode. That's not what this is. This is hey we say it like it is we call it like it is we call it spade a spade that's what this is that that's how this podcast rolls and that's a good thing because you know I don't do fluff I tried that in the past many years ago and it just felt like nothing was real well guess what if if that's all you live in is fluffville 
then guess what? Nothing is real. It's not sustainable and it's not real. And then once you realize you've been living a lie or you've been leaving you have been believing in lies and not in the truth, that's kind of a Debbie Downer. And I will say this, the first time I read Toxic Drift, it was it was upsetting to me. Cuz then I realized all the stuff I I probably knew I had been exposed to but I just wasn't sure. And I started taking stuff more seriously. Now that doesn't mean I became a a liberal nut and thought about shaming and blaming pesticide manufacturers not by any means. It's just you just practice safety precautions, you know, just in an everyday everyday life. You know, and the way you do that is just be careful what you bring into your home, you know, and just be aware of what you're buying. You know, it's almost like when you are cooking a cake and you have a recipe, right? Well, in order to make that cake, you have to buy all the ingredients within that recipe. Otherwise, you're not going to get the cake that you want. So, what kind of ingredients are you going to buy to bake this cake? You're probably going to go to the store and buy fresh eggs, fresh baking soda, fresh baking powder, fresh flour if you don't already have it in your house. But you know, you want the best of the best, right? That just comes naturally to you. Cuz that's naturally how most people cook, right? It's the same thing when you start to notice things in terms of pesticides and chemicals. It's it's not a freak out moment. It's just, "Hey, I'm just going to be a little more knowledgeable. I'm going to be a little more cautious. I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to worry. I'm just going to, you know, you know practice some due diligence and just you know care more about my life and you know you know let the chips fall where they land you know, you just need to have a sense of peace about it you know i know i've said this before in other podcasts i don't ever want anyone to hear these podcasts and like feel like their blood pressure is up that's why sometimes when i talk about stuff i'll say okay please do not drink any caffeine or energy supplement drinks right before we talk about what we're going to talk about because especially if I know something is serious or concerning I always try and give a disclaimer because I want to make sure that people are calm and don't drink a bunch of coffee or something unless it's decaf which even so decaf does have a little bit of caffeine in it still but not as much as regular coffee but it's one of those things that you know what's interesting about doing this podcast is it's also taught me how to be calmer about things and I'm grateful for that. And plus it's also an opportunity to share information with people and also encourage people to have a better life. And I think that's great. And it is possible to have a better life even while you're being cautious and just being concerned about stuff, but not in like a a seriousness kind of way and then you're creating a .org website or you know just calling up your senator or your congresswoman or whatever and just freaking out over something you know don't do that don't do that first of all in regards to me i just take stuff up in prayer and i i don't worry about it because i know god will take care of it but you know if you know for example if there is something that i think my senator or congresswoman needs to know i mean i can easily just write them an email or a letter like i don't have to storm the capital you know it's just There are things that you do that do it calmly and politely as much as possible because not only are you doing it for the other person but you're doing it for you. Cuz I think what people forget is that whenever we as human beings overreact to things, it is very taxing on our heart, our lungs, our blood vessels, our capillaries and our central nervous system. 
Like life is already stressful as it is. I don't think we need to make it worse. But we do need to be aware of things. So it's good to be aware of something, but just be calm about it because here's the thing. When you're calm about something, you grow in wisdom. I've learned that over the years. I wish I had been a calmer person in my 20s, that's for sure. <laughs> but you know, it's one of those things I guess when you're young, you're you're really hyper about stuff because you're learning, you know, for the first time a lot of things and then you know, you're you just have way more energy back then. So, but anyway, um I will go ahead in this podcast, but I do hope that you enjoyed it. If you have any questions for me, feel free to reach out to me. There is a message link or a button on my podcast website, so feel free to ask me any question you like. We will discuss it in the next podcast. But until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole. That you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Still hold